Welcome, everybody. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us today at Wyoming Valley Church and uh, counted a great privilege to fellowship and to study God's Word with you. And again, thanks for coming. Uh, my name is Mel, and uh, I'm one of the pastors that are here. And uh, if you have um, your Bibles uh, with you or a device or whatever, please turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And we'll get there in just, just a moment or two. Um, Pastor Todd started last week uh, on this topic of tangible faith. And the idea behind this idea is that, the, the idea behind this topic is that faith is indeed tangible. It's real. This passage in James is, um, to be real honest with you, a little bit controversial. And Pastor Todd talked with us about that. In fact, if that is still a question mark, if you weren't here last week or whatever, then please go online and listen to his message or watch the video of his message. And I thought that was excellent how he explained about how, and, and I'm going to talk to you about this. In fact, in the notes, in the blue sheet that you have, uh, Pastor Todd gave you uh, this quote, which is something that I've said all of my life and something that I want to emphasize again this morning, and that is don't forget, folks, don't forget. The Bible is one message all the way through. One of the most miraculous things of the Bible is that it was written by all of these different human authors over a great period of time, but it's one message because God is the author. And so, folks, listen, please, on this. As you study the Word of God and you come to a question or a passage that seems controversial, don't assume that that's a problem. Assume and I'm doing this, folks, with a huge smile on my face, assume that you need to study it. Assume that. Assume that I need to dig in and find out what is this saying. And uh, we're, we're going to try to do that today and make this incredibly practical about this idea of faith. And here's the point that I think it's uh, from this passage, James 2, 14 through 26, is this. Um, God wants our faith to show up in our lives. Right? God wants our faith to show up in our lives. Now, we all know people that have made a deathbed confession. Remember the story in Scripture at the thief on the cross? There are illustrations of that. We all know people that made a decision for Jesus when they were young or at a big rally or whatever. But from God's perspective, God wants our faith to show up in our lives. And that really is the point of James chapter 2. I had uh, TGD read the passage of Scripture this morning, and we're going to talk about that passage, the great faith chapter, the hall of faith, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 11. And to get started, I just want to emphasize this. Don't forget that God himself says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, and I underline those on the PowerPoint slide, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is just not this shot in the dark, this hopeful feeling, that faith is substance and evidence. And, and that's really important for us to stand, understand, that, that faith is indeed tangible. Now what I want to do, I'm going to go through this passage and especially highlight 
verses 14, 15, 16, and 17 of this passage. And to, to make this very, very practical to follow up on what Pastor Todd said last week. But, but here's what I'm going to do. And that is, I'm going to inter- interweave in through the message today. And in the middle of all of that, we're going to talk about James 2. And I'll read that passage in just a moment. But in the, interwoven in that, there's going to be some real life human illustrations that are all from the Word of God that help us get this idea of tangible faith. <clears throat> now, if you have your Bibles or uh, in your notes or uh, ruler or your finger or pen or something, I want to start by, by giving you one illustration of how God wants our faith to be tangible. So if you have your Bibles with me, then uh, to, get, to get started, turn over with me to, we're going to try to make this incredibly practical to get started, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I admit to you that this verse is one of my um, favorites in all of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 says this, 2 Timothy 1, 5. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to his student, to a young man in the faith, and he says in verse 5, When I call to remembrance <coughs> the genuine faith that is in you, <coughs> excuse me, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Look with me for a second at the PowerPoint slide. Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul is writing, by the way, let me just give you a little bit of a background. Paul is writing 2 Timothy in in chronological order. 2 Timothy is the last book from the pen of the Apostle Paul. He wrote several in the New Testament. Most of them are letters to individuals, to churches, or whatever. Paul is writing 2 Timothy from a dungeon prison in Rome. Probably like a sewer pit in the ground. Most likely Nero was the emperor of Rome. Paul was at the end of his life. If you were to read through 2 Timothy, you'll come to 2 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul writes, the time of my departure, the time of my death is at hand. And he writes about that. He knew that at any moment he was about to be drug out of his cell and taken out into the public and martyred, killed for his faith in Christ. This is a, uh, 2 Timothy, is an incredibly personal letter. And so it starts, 2 Timothy, I read to you one verse from chapter 1. But Paul begins by saying, when I call to remembrance, it's very, very human probably to do that. Paul is uh, alone in a prison and he is, remembering his relationship with young Timothy. And the thing that sticks out in Paul's mind about Timothy is his genuine faith. Now, I've, I've said this to you before in this verse. If you are uh, typically a church attender, right, somewhere along the line, you've probably heard this verse, and most often, it's uh, around Mother's Day. It is. I mean, it, it is. Paul's writing. 
And he says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. I, folks, I, I thank God for my heritage. I, I thank God for my mom. My mom was a solid Christian woman. She's in heaven now. And, and I thank God for her. I, I thank God for my grandmothers. And, and as far back as I know in my genealogy, which is a long way because Christy, our daughter, has done the work, is my family has been believers. And I thank God for that legacy. I thank God for, for forefathers, for four mothers. Is that a word? I don't even know. For people that, that influenced me and my mom. My, when, we were, when I was young, my, my uh, grandmother and my great-grandmother lived with us for a while. And I thank God for that legacy. But sooner or later, legacy, influence, has to translate into a personal faith. I, I, I said this before. I thank God, as far back as I know, on my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family, as far back as I know, my family has been believers and have been involved in, in, in church and, and have, lived, have lived for God as far back as I know. And I'll tell you a secret. I never wanted to be the guy that messed that up. And, and that, that motivated me. And so, you know, like my kids, you know, two out of our three kids, you know them. So Christy, Todd, and Travis, and their grandkids, and my, our grandkids, I pray for our little kids, the little grandkids, every day. Because I want their faith to be real. But, and I love this verse, and I love the mother's emphasis on this verse. But you can tell by my highlighting on the PowerPoint slide. And that is, that's, the, not, the fo that's not the focus of this verse in Paul's mind. Because twice in one verse... Paul writes about Timothy, and he says about Timothy that he is thankful that his faith is genuine. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith, the real, the tangible faith, that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, again, is in you also. So folks, it's clear. God wants our faith. To be real. God wants our faith to be genuine. Uh, I, I love that word, genuine. We live in a culture where there's a lot of fake, right? I mean, we, we live in that culture. This is a word that, mean, again, it means real, genuine. There's In the King James Bible that a lot of us grew up in, it has the word unfeigned, which means unfaked. Paul was writing, and he wrote about Timothy, and he said, Timothy, the thing that I remember about you is that your faith was real, was genuine. Again, we're going to get to James chapter 2, but I want you to look at one other passage quickly about Timothy and about that genuine faith idea before we move on. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, or at least in the notes, jot these references down to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, that, that's the passage where in the Bible, in the narrative of Scripture, we're introduced to this young man, Timothy, is in Acts 16. Paul is traveling, and it says there in the beginning of chapter 16 of Acts, Acts 16, that he, the Apostle Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there, <coughs> a, a young man who was already a church kid, Timothy. 
the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren. He had a good testimony who were at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And then it says in the Bible, he took and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in that region, for they all knew that his father is a Greek. And then verse 4, they went through the cities, they delivered for them the decrees to keep, and that which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And then verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Timothy was, uh, when we're introduced to Timothy, Timothy was a church kid. He grew up in, a, in church and he was there. He had a good reputation already. But that gives us, that passage I just read, gives us a little bit of an introduction to his family. There it tells us, like Paul Harvey used to say, like the rest of the story, it tells us a little bit, about, a little bit more about his mom. But then it also tells us a little bit about his father. It says there that his father was Greek and the language there has the idea of a, an exception was made. And so maybe not even a believer or maybe not even part of the, the faith or maybe not even around. And I thought about Timothy's story a lot and realized that even from a somewhat dysfunctional family, his father was Greek, his, father, his mother had a great influence. And I, I thank God for my mom, but I thank God for my dad too and the solid family that I grew up in. But Timothy's faith was real in spite of his background. Timothy's faith was real in spite of his background. One of the things that I want to talk with you about today is that God wants our faith to be genuine. God wants our faith to be tangible. No matter what. Um, culture, probably. Maybe human nature, some. We are very prone as individuals to have excuses for why I can't do something or whatever. I think the lesson today about tangible faith is that God wants our faith to be real. No matter what. God wants our faith to be real even if you're in a dungeon prison in Rome, your faith is real. God wants our faith to be real, even if our circumstances, our background isn't exactly ideal. Let's not use those things as an excuse. Let's not use those things as a reason for not having that genuine faith. God wants our faith to be real. And we're going to end today. We're going to go back and look at James again and try to make this incredibly practical. But we're going to look at a couple other illustrations of people, of real-life people. We looked at Timothy already, and we're going to look back at a couple of other people that God gives us in this passage of people that also had a genuine faith, um, even though they went through some difficult times in life. Now, we'll get to this in just a second. Don't forget that the whole idea of the book of James, and Pastor Todd talked with us about this, I've talked with you about this, that the book of James was written to Jewish believers who were scattered because of persecution, it was hard for them to live their faith. It was hard for them to have this tangible, genuine faith. And so because of that, Paul or James is writing here that he, even though you're going through a difficult time, even though you're scattered abroad and oftentimes we're alone, God wants your faith to be real. Don't use that as an excuse, okay? So, 
And, and using that as an opening illustration, now turn back with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And again, I'm going to highlight this idea that I mentioned to you once already. We put it in the notes last week. It's in the notes again today. It's on the PowerPoint slide. Don't forget that when you come to a passage that seems difficult, folks, please, again, I'm smiling real big to say this. When you come to a passage in the Word of God that seems difficult, don't assume it's a problem. Please, I'm just giving you advice. I am uh, a pastor, but also, don't forget, I'm big. (laughs) Don't assume it's a problem. Assume you need to study and figure out what is God saying and what is God saying to you. There's one message all the way through. Don't assume it's a contradiction. Assume that there's something about it that God wants us to study, and we're going to do that in James 2. Let me, let me read it. James chapter 2. I'm going to read all the way through, but we're going to highlight verses 14 through 17. Let me read it. James chapter 2, verse, starting with verse 14. What is the prophet, my brother? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it does not, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me just stop there, interject what I said to you before. God's intention for our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ and our personal Savior, is that our faith is not just lip service, it's not just something we say, it's something that we sh- shows up in life. Okay, let me keep reading. Verse 18 says, but someone will say, let me stop again, um, this is still happening, what I'm about to read. It still happens. Someone will say, James wrote, you have faith, I have works. In other words, uh, even unsaved people can do good things. Someone may look at our lives and say, well, what about your Christianity? What about that? That is still going on today. And I think the answer is, again, God expects us, God expects us as believers that our faith will show up in life. It says, uh, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Pastor Todd talked about this. Even the demons believe and tremble or are terrified. And God wants our faith to be a whole lot more than the faith, the belief that the demons have. Okay, there is a God, and I'm scared to death of God. God wants our faith to be more than that. Um, But you do... Uh, but do you want to know, foolish man, interesting language, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father, again this is written to Jewish believers, justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect or was, uh, was mature, made mature? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God. And it was account, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. And you see then that a man is justified, declared righteous by works, and not by faith only. Again, that's not, 
James is not writing in, in conflict to what the Apostle Paul or what the rest of the Bible is saying at all. He's saying that God intended, and Pastor Todd went over that before, that God intended our faith to be more than just lip service. God intended our faith to show up in life. And that's what we're talking about today. Okay. Likewise, verse 25, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Futile, vain. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. So let's go through this. I'm going to do this really quickly, and then we're going to talk about two illustrations from this passage. Three illustrations, actually, and then we'll be done. Here's the passage that I want to highlight. Verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. What does it profit, my brethren? James starts by writing that. I have highlighted this, or I have talked with you about this before. Remember, when there is something in the Bible that is repeated, it is usually because uh, the writer wants us to emphasize that point. What does it profit? What does it profit? That is a rhetorical question, folks. That is a rhetorical question that James wants us to understand that, or what advantage of that, or what benefit, or what help is that. In other words, it is best if our faith shows up in life. So that is the, the bookends of this chapter already. And then here, and again, Pastor Todd went over this a little bit, and I just want to... Um, kind of play on the language that's here. There are two kinds of false faith in this passage. James 2, verses 14 through 17. The first one is what I'm going to call fake faith. Now, let me... Maybe I am, and I'm smiling, folks, but I maybe I'm playing with the language here, okay? But there is a difference between... False and fake that I just want to highlight just for a minute. A false faith would be if I tell you it is possible by you being good to get into heaven. That's wrong. <laughs> Please understand. That is not possible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not by Mel Walker being good. It's not by Todd Walker being good. It's not by you being good or by you coming to church or being baptized that we're saved. Totally by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ, totally by what Jesus Christ did. But there's also a fake faith. Notice here, and again, I, I like the language, and I think it's important for us to understand what the author is saying, that, that in James 2, verses 14 through 17, there's a couple of, I think, very interesting phrases. And the first one is this. If someone says they have faith. And the indication is, and we'll talk about that in a minute, is this, but they don't. You got that? That's possible, right? Did you ever know somebody? Hey, we're friends, right? It's okay. Shoot straight, right? It's okay. Did you ever know somebody like that that says they're a believer? But you've wondered? Does their life back it up? They say they have faith, but that's a fake faith, not false. False is the false gospel. It's a fake. We live in a day where there's, uh, I've, I've talked to you about this before, 
I mean, there are a lot of fakes. We understand that, right? When someone is acting or pretending or it's not real. I've told, I've told you the story. Since the uh, pandemic and uh, sports were off TV for all of those months, Peggy, I, she's not here. She's back with the children. So I'm going to talk about her. I'm, I, just, I just want you to know. She started, and I don't even know why, she started taping all these Alaska TV shows, you know, and it's like these people that are, you know, living alone and the, you know, and then there's the, 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 you know, Homestead Rescue, Marty Rainey guy, you know, and all of that, and all these supposedly reality, now what's funny to me about all these Alaska shows is that We've been to Alaska. I've been to Anchorage probably four or five times, ministry. And there was one time that uh, a church that supports our daughter in Anchorage, Alaska, wanted our whole family to fly to Alaska. And so I took Peggy to Alaska on a ministry trip, and she hated it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I told you I'm going to talk about her because she's not in the room. I'm going to talk about her. She hated it. She thought it was way too remote, and I'm thinking, this is great. This is an adventure. And we got to see Mount McKinley, and we got, you know, all, I mean, we got to see a moose in town, you know, and I'm thinking, this is, this is the greatest thing ever, and Peggy the whole time, I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk about it, complain about it. And now she's watching it on TV. You know, and you can tell by watching those reality TV shows that it, it doesn't jive. You know, they're, this homestead rescue, I mean, they're doing all this kind of stuff, but then all of a sudden... There's, uh, out of the blue, there's this huge bulldozer and, you know, an uh, you know, excavator and there's all these other people helping. And you realize it's a TV show. It's not. It's a TV show. It's not real. Now I'm going to talk about Todd and he's in the room. Before Todd got married, he was a reality TV uh, fan. He, his favorite was Man vs. Wild. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The old version of Man versus Wild. Bear Grylls. Okay, this guy, Bear Grylls, Man versus Wild, the TV show, is a legitimate British, like, secret service. He's like, the, like, he's like the real James Bond guy. Only he's a survival expert. And they have shows where they, he parachutes out of an airplane, like on uh, Mount Everest, you know, and has to survive and all this kind of stuff. Or there's one where they drop him off in the Sahara Desert. I'm not kidding you about this. And he's got to, like, live, like, in the body of a dead camel. I mean, this is gross stuff. I mean, seriously. That's a t- well, come to find out, they took Man vs. Wild off the air for a while. They took it off. And then they brought it back on with the, refu- the, 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 the re- you know, the, uh, what's that word? The replays, whatever, of the show. And now there's a disclaimer. Bear Grylls and his staff stay at the Marriott, you know? And, and I'm thinking about that. Reality TV, it's a con. It's made up, right? It's fake. And they got in trouble for it. Bear Grylls and his staff are staying at the Hyatt or whatever. And I'm like, reality? You know, you want me to live in a camel and you're, you're staying at a Holiday Inn? Um, Luke is involved this week, next week in the play at CSU. And uh, I was in a play once at CSU. I was the male lead in a Shakespeare play at, at Baptist Bible College. Male lead, as you like. Mel Walker in tights. 
It wasn't. Carol, right. Exactly right. It wasn't pretty then. Here's the point. God wants our faith to be genuine. No matter what. There's a lot of fake out there where it doesn't jive. It's not real. It's not genuine. It's real. Our faith is real when it shows up in life. Paul's writing to Jewish believers who were scattered because of persecution. And I think if James were here, I think what he'd say is even when things are hard, that's when genuine faith that Timothy had, that in spite of your background, kicks in. And the faith is real. And how you know it's real is by our works. That same phrase is used again. There's also in this passage a dead, notice the quotation marks, a dead faith. How is that even possible? Well, again, it's, it's probably a play on words. And then it says again, notice the underline on my PowerPoint, faith by itself, it, it does not have works, is dead or vain or futile. In other words, remember I, I mentioned this before, what is the prophet James wrote? Remember I said it's a rhetorical question? In other words, God wants our faith to be real. God wants our faith to be genuine. So here in the passage, there are two key principles, and that is real faith is the opposite of fake faith. God wants our faith to be real. Real faith is the opposite of fake faith. And that is our faith is real so much that it shows up in life. And we'll get to illustrations to help point that out in just a second. If someone says... They're a believer, but their faith doesn't match it, and it's not real. Real faith is the opposite of faith, fake. Faith, fake, faith, right? It's easy for me to say. In other words, it shows up in life. The second principle here is that real faith is better than dead faith. Dead meaning futile or useless or vain. Not, not necessarily that it's not there, but that it's barren or futile. God wants our faith to be real. No matter what. No matter what the circumstances. Now, in saying all of that, I'm going to give you, from the passage, three really quick illustrations that James gave us to show you how this applies to life. Okay, The first one, uh, and you know this one, embedded in this, in this paragraph, is this. If a brother or sister... Let me highlight again, James is writing to Jewish believers, believers who were scattered because of incredibly difficult persecution. Remember, I talked with you about that before. They were often alone, away from their support group, away from their family, in some cases away from their church, on their own. And no wonder they struggled with trials. No wonder they struggled with temptation. And here he's writing to the collective group of believers that were scattered abroad and said, if a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, you know, be warmed and filled. In other words, you know, Lord bless you. In other words, I'll pray for you, right? I think this passage is saying, uh, saying to us and to the readers then that our faith needs to be more than just 
what we say. Right? I think our faith needs to be more. I think what we say is important. James talks about that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that together uh, later on. And we've talked about that in other series, in the in messages in the past. But if you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So here in this passage, I think there's the principle behind this illustration. In other words, God wants us to have a tangible faith, a faith that is visible because of what we do. And if there are others that we know have need, we can respond to them, we can serve the Lord here in the local church, we can do what God wants us to do because we're believers. Not, not because we're trying to work our way into heaven, but because our faith is real, our genuine faith that kind of faith that Timothy had, no matter what his background was, his faith was tangible. Here's another illustration. I love this one. The illustration of Abraham. I didn't really give you the notes for this or like an outline to jot these down. So please, 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 I beg you, beg you, sometime study again the story of Abraham when God specifically told Abraham in Genesis 22, I want you to sacrifice your son. Old Testament culture. My goodness. I, I have preached on, I preached on Genesis 22 here. But I preached on that passage because God used that passage in my life so many times to teenagers over my life. Genesis 22, we're not going to take the time to read it, but jot, jot the reference down. God said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now you got to understand, in Isaac, all of Abraham's dreams, all of his goals, all of his plans for his life were wrapped up in Isaac. Right? You know the story. A lot of you know the story. By that time in Abraham's life, God had already said to Abraham, in your family, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Abraham, as an individual, all of his dreams, all of his goals, all of his plans for his life had, uh, were wrapped up in Isaac. And then God says, okay, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. Humanly, all of us would say, what? Wait a minute, I'm following you. Isaac is what you told me. God says, I want that. And it is absolutely amazing in that story. God said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Mel Walker's paraphrase of Abraham's response in Genesis 22. I mean, this is profound. You ready for this? Okay. I want you to give the most important thing you have to me, God said. And Abraham's like, okay, you got it. Talk about incredible faith, right? That Abraham was willing, no matter what, to obey God. And I don't know, Hebrews... 11, you can read about that, that Abraham might have, if I have to sacrifice my son, God will bring him back to life. I don't, but but to, to study that story in Genesis 22, did Abraham have to kill his son? No, it was a test. Sometimes we're afraid to give God everything because we're afraid of what might happen. So, folks, if our faith is going to be tangible, if our faith is going to be genuine, then I think it demands that our faith is obedient. I think what God wants us to say 
in response to his word is okay. Okay, that I trust God enough that whatever God asks of me, I'm going to say, okay. And God's word is clear that the way that our faith shows up in life, listen, please, God's word is clear. The way that our faith shows up in life is when we're obedient to what God tells us to do. Is that, that clear? Number three, the third illustration, and I'm going to be done. The third illustration, verse 25. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and set them out another way? Now, you study the story, okay? The story is found in Joshua 2, when the nation of Israel, that's the city of Jericho, if you know the story or whatever, but in Joshua chapter 2, and then the story is again told to us about Rahab in Hebrews chapter 11. And I gave you the references. They're on the PowerPoint slide. Now, again, folks, you're my friends. And again, I keep saying this today. But I'm smiling today. But I want to make, I want to make a big point about Rahab because James makes a point about Rahab. Are you ready? Rahab. She's always called that. If you look back when we're first introduced to Rahab, she's called Rahab the harlot. You look in James, the passage that we read. Rahab the harlot. You look in Hebrews, the illustration about her faith. Rahab the harlot. Um... That seems a little weird to me. I, I wouldn't want to be known that much because of my past. So here's the point, I think, about Rahab. Is no matter what her past was, God changed her life. I don't know. I don't. No one does all that's in your past. And even though I'm a guy that's up here a lot, and Pastor Todd's a guy that's up here a lot, so we've told you a lot about our past. You don't know all that's about my past. But I'll tell you what, I am very, very thankful that no matter what my past is, even Timothy could say that, a guy that grew up as a church kid, but also an incredible dysfunctional family, that no matter what his past was, that God's faith could be real and genuine. For Ahab's, past was quite a bit different than little Timothy the church kid and in spite of her past God was able to justify declare her righteous because of her faith that was accompanied by works because she was willing to do what God had told her to do and that's how tangible faith is so there at the bottom of the notes it's this works declare and reveal beliefs. Works declare and reveal. They say what we believe. And then this, genuine faith is demonstrated. It shows up in our life. Genuine faith is to be demonstrated. It's to show up in life. Not using our past as an excuse, 
not using circumstances as excuse. Abraham was obedient no matter what. Okay, God, I'll give you the most important thing to you. I'll give you the most important thing to me. And if brothers or sisters have needs, we help because our response is that we're going to do what God wants us to do. I think that's what in John 13 it says that by this shall all men know. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. I think that's why. Because it shows up in life. It shows up in life. Now, let me highlight one thing, and I'm going to close in prayer. Maybe I should have spelled it out in a PowerPoint slide. James 1.22. Last time I was here, I spoke to you about that. And that, that is one of the key verses in all of James. Where God says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I don't know if you remember, and it's okay with you. I'll... It's okay with me if you don't, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you, and then I'm going to be done. Every single time we go to the Word of God, we need to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do as a result I've heard today? So, please bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray. And pray, God, what do you want me to do as a result of what God's word has taught us about tangible faith? Let's make it that real. What do you want me to do? And that's how I'm going to pray. And then I'll close out loud. Just bow your head, close your eyes for a minute and pray, and then we'll be done. Father, I thank you for your word. I love the truth of the language of what you've taught us, and I love the personal illustrations from your word, that even the ones that we've talked about today. But God, I pray that James 1.22 would be real in our lives every single time. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, you want our, our faith to be real. You want our faith to show up in life. So people see that our faith is real. It's not just what we say. And we're not fakes and we're not dead. It's not futile, not vain. It's real. It's real. Believe me, God, and I know you know this. And maybe, 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 maybe you're teaching us that right now too. That even during this weird time in our culture, that one of the things that you're teaching us is that you want our faith to be real, so real it shows up in life. Father, I thank you for what you've taught us. Help us to always learn and apply the truth of your word. And God... I just pray that me and all of us would respond, okay, God, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'm willing to respond. I, I want to be a doer of the word and not hearers only. Father, I thank you for your word, what you've taught us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the great opportunities to do that is, is Wednesday night when we're studying the attributes of God, an incredible study. And uh, God will use that to help us make those things real in our lives, too. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day.